Let's do it. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I feel woefully underprepared. Good to see nothing's changed. It's great. A good session. <laughs> um, okay. <clears throat> Just a customary throat clearing, obviously. Gotta remember the patter. Think of the theme music. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Tokyo Jazz Joints. Like all good bands, uh, it's a comeback. And uh, we're back uh, just for a short time, uh, just for a couple of episodes, probably. But uh, yeah, James, it's been, from my side, uh, new house. New country, depending on your politics. Uh, same banter, unfortunately. And of course, it's a new year because we haven't recorded since the last episode we released was 2021. <laughs> I have to check. We can edit that in. I can't remember. It's been so So much long. has happened. Yeah. New How are house, things with you? new country. Jeez, um, I wish I had such exciting news, man. But, um, oh, no, new member of the OK Jazz Home here. My little dog, Sam, um, who will most likely be making a guest appearance at some point during this recording. So um, keep your ears tuned to that. But uh, I am so happy to be back. Man, we've got jazz to talk about. Why have we waited so long? I put the blame solely on you. Yeah, I'd say it is largely my fault. Um, There was also the small matter of the pandemic, which for our more avid listeners who are vaguely interested at my travel plans. Uh, I left Japan 2017. I went back within about a year, 2018. And obviously that was uh, the trip that we documented around Kyushu and up in Hokkaido. And unfortunately, because of the combination of COVID and what can only be described as very draconian uh, immigration laws in Japan around COVID. I'm still unable to get back. So it's actually going to be, and I, it, it pains me to say this, it's going to be four years by the time I get back, assuming that I'm able to get back in uh, this autumn. So I don't know if I can maybe shoulder like 100% of the blame, James. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a slight pass on that. Um, having my own experiences with the Japanese immigration system, but we won't go into that. Let's keep it swinging. Um, yes, it has been. F- Can you believe it? Four years. But, you know, I, I, just to let everybody feel reassured, I have been hitting the jazz spots over the last couple months since things did sort of calm down a bit here with the pandemic and opening hours were extended again. And um, that's why we brought the band back together today, right? We're going to go through a little bit of uh, a little bit of my recent travels domestically here in Japan. Still can't travel internationally very safely in and out of the country. A little bit risky, but um, I can get around Japan. And so, you know, what we've been talking about a little bit over the last few weeks is, you know, I'm going to try to scout out a few places here and there. And then when you do get back, you know, we'll know where we need to go to take the pictures, you know, save some time. Yep. Well, I'm going to I'm going to try and barely contain my jealousy that you're uh, that you're able to go to these places and I'm only able just to to flick sadly through the tokyojazzjoints.com website but um <laughs> we're going to call this episode six Kyushu joints um and obviously it's a fairly self-explanatory uh title because uh, you most recently went uh, on a weekend trip to Kyushu, you took advantage of the very uh, generous offers from the uh, Japan Domestic Tourist Board, I believe. And if I've been listening correctly, and I 
you know, in fairness, don't listen to a lot of what you say in much detail, but uh, I believe you, Miyazaki, Takanabe, and then, of course, our favorite place, Fukuoka. So those are the three places that you hit. So if, you, if you're not familiar with those places, the first thing you want to do is you want to get onto uh, Google Maps there, get those three places up so you can follow along with us. So where did you kick off, James? And uh, was it all new places or were there any places that we had also been to together? We started out with four brand new joints for me and then two uh, two revisits, two places we've been to together. And, um, you know, for people who've been to Japan or if you haven't been to Japan, um, you're looking at the map, Kyushu is the southernmost of the four major islands and Miyazaki is the, the southeast prefecture faces the pacific ocean and this is a good 900 kilometers from tokyo so it's pretty far it's a lot closer to taiwan than it is to the tokyo uh, metro area and it's a pretty I, I i wouldn't say it's a backwater but i mean it's it's pretty sparsely populated um i suppose the most famous thing miyazaki prefecture has going for it are mangoes and uh there's a famous golf tournament you land at the airport and there's just giant banners and posters of like Japanese and and international golf athletes who I've never heard of because I don't play the game. But apparently there's some big tournament there. But it seems to be, you know, it's it's pretty off the beaten path. And it's one reason that when when we did our big trip uh, to Kyushu, Philip, several years back, um, we, we didn't make it to Miyazaki because at the time we thought, well, you know, it's hard to get to. Um, it's in the middle of nowhere. We don't know about the joints yet. Nobody told us about them. Um, but this time I decided, look, you know, I'd been trapped in the house for so many months. Uh, I just wanted to get out. Why not go as far south as I can get? And um, luckily, and I'd like to give him a quick shout out already, new new friend of mine, Ishii-san, who's on Instagram at Randy Rhodes. He's a guy who I've been following for years and he's followed me. He always posts pictures of Jazz Kisaten around Kyushu Island. So I texted him and I said, hey, what do you know about Miyazaki? And he hooked me up with the names of a bunch of places, even the names of the owners. So that was, you know how that is. It's always good to have that intro when you walk in for the first time, especially. Absolutely, yeah. We've, we've, we've come across that a few times, haven't we? I mean, obviously, if, if we'd known about the famous mangoes of Miyazaki, I think we, we might have made it uh, a stop on our trip to Kyushu, but we were trying to pack a lot in. But yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely useful to have an intro. And like, We've said this a few times. I think when you do go to these places and if you are able to get back to Japan or indeed you're listening from in Japan, we know like a lot of listeners are are in Japan. I think like regardless of of language uh, ability, how much Japanese you have, you know, I think if you just go in and, and play the game, like you will always be welcomed. I think probably owners have sometimes had, you know, maybe bad experiences and not, not to tar everyone with the same brush, but they, you know, sometimes they, they've had their sort of peace and quiet shattered or they just like can't be bothered or, or, or sometimes they're kind of feel uncomfortable having to try and communicate in English or whatever other language you speak if it's not Japanese. So I think like having that intro is really powerful. And I know that like a couple of places that we've been to, certainly um, Jazz Street 52 is the one that always rings, uh, always comes back to me where I can still remember very, very clearly, like just that moment <laughs> that like we mentioned the name of, of the owner of Basie, um, Sugawara-san. And this guy, it was like someone flicked a switch at the back of this guy's head. Like his his whole countenance just completely changed, right? And he was suddenly just like beaming. He's like, oh, you know Sugawara-san? Oh, no, no, no. That was, um, was Nakadaira-san from Shinjuku Doug. 
uh, because no, remember no, he had it was, the, no, he, he it was the, fifty-two. No, it was fifty-two. Yeah, yeah, no, fifty-two. The owner, but he had a picture on the counter of him with Nakadaira-san. Remember, because and we noticed it, and then when we said that we knew him and had interviewed him, that's when he opened up to us. I oh, I thought it was. It was I thought it was Sugawara-san. No, Sugawara-san is in the photo because remember we 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 figured out that these two guys had hung out in Tokyo during college, but Sugawara-san went way back up north, and the guy from Fifty Second Street went all the way back to Kyushu. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because the three of them, because we did we did sort of dub them the three Beatles, didn't we? Because <laughs> they obviously right. had they kind right. of come together in this like magical moment of the sixties in Shinjuku. They'd yes. been part of this Bohemian jazz Kisa culture, and then they kind of they went and spread the the gospel to to various areas of Japan. Right. And, so and, yeah, and you, that's a that's a, a wonderful if unintended segue because the <laughs> the Shinjuku connection continued in Miyazaki man i mean it okay. was it was unbelievable so i you know i, I get down there in the afternoon and uh, you know it's pretty it's subtropical there you come out and it's just like the airport is surrounded by palm trees so immediately i was yeah. in a good mood of course it started raining and it was very windy but in any case i bummed around uh miyazaki station tried to find did you have the, the you have the famous rain jacket or? I, I did not have the raincoat but uh-huh, my disappointing. trusty trusty blue bag is still in tip-top shape I think we're in year 11 now of the famous blue bag. Uh, more pictures coming of it because I do know people love I mean, you can find, if, if anyone's interested, if you go to the Kagoshima episode or you look at our Instagrams, on our pinned highlights, you can see the famous um, rain jacket that James produced not was, long after arriving so, in uh, You were so jealous of it. Your, your jealousy just shone through uh with very harsh sarcasm. Um, well, yeah, well, I could have used the raincoat, man, because the, the rain kicked in and I, I was, I found myself standing under an awning outside of Family Mart, having a beer, looking at Google Map, trying to figure out, okay, where is this first jazz joint? And do I need to like, you know, go in and buy something and at least get an umbrella or grab a taxi? Already kind of regretting my lack of preparation. But it all worked out because I, I get to the first place, it's called Lifetime. It's um, pretty much in downtown Miyazaki, but that's not, again, it's not a very big city. It's the capital of the prefecture, but it's only about maybe 200,000 people. And I walk in and the owner, Kusuno-san, looks at me from behind the counter and says, I've been waiting for you. What took so long? <laughs> and so all of that, the, the exhaustion of, of flying and the stress of wandering around Miyazaki City in the rain just immediately went away because I knew, all oh, right, this guy is going to be fun. The fact that he would greet me like that. And Philip, you remember, we've had that so many times when, when a couple of famous times in all of our talks where we've walked in and they've said, hey, we've been waiting for you guys. <laughs> what yeah, took you so I mean, long it's, a ni- it's a nice feeling, right? Because again, like, you know, as we've said many times, a lot of these jazz kisa are you know, customers are thin on the ground, you know, especially mm. during the daytime. So I think any customer some, sometimes can be a treat, but, uh, it, you know, the further flung regions you go to, probably the less likely you're expecting uh, like a, a Westerner or, an, or a foreigner who speaks Japanese to arrive. So how, how come he knew you were coming? Then? Well, no, I had, I mean, it, I didn't know he would remember because I had rang, having realized that my trip was very, very tight. I had only two and a half days, basically. I couldn't risk any of the places not being open. So, you know, regular listeners are going to remember, we always try to just show up 
out of the blue. Yeah. We want to capture the places the way that they are without them sort of, you know, cleaning or being fussy because two foreign guys are coming in. Uh, I didn't want to risk that. So I did call him about a week and a half before the trip asking, you know, what times are you open and what's the best time to come to talk to you? And and he was, he was nice on the phone, but he was like, oh, look, you know, I'm here pretty much all the time except when I'm not here. And I was like, okay, that's one of those great jazz joint answers. Like you're there when you're there, but you're not there when you're not there. So all right, I'm just going to show up. I told him I'd be there sometime around 6. Um, and so I get there actually a little bit early at 5.45. But yeah, he's he's completely waiting for me. Um, sits me down, immediately just says, do you speak Japanese? I'm like, yeah, I speak Japanese. And he, he just goes off and he tells me all about the joint. Um, they've been open for uh, 45 years. He started out just as a kisaten back in those days. Philip, you remember, we've talked about this before, in the 60s and 70s, there were many, many more just straight ahead kisaten, cafes that opened at you know, noon, for example, but might close a little bit early. But somewhere along the line, the opening hours got extended and they went into what they call bar time here in Japan. Yeah, and interestingly, actually, again, if, if uh, those of you who follow our, our social media more closely, you'll have seen that, you know, the, I had the chance to, to exhibit some of the prints at the Queen's Film Theatre in, in Belfast. And part of that exhibition was the showing it was only one day but we did a screening of uh, the ballad of swifty which is the japanese may documentary about basie up in um ichinoseki and um i thought what was really interesting and that was Naka, nakadaira-san from doug that we've mentioned already in shinjuku he talked specifically about that how uh, it wasn't only the um ban on talking that we you know we've mentioned a few times that was a thing but also there was kind of this sense of like no alcohol too because it 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 sort of attracted a certain kind of customer or behavior and so some places actually were quite strict about that it was it was less to do with well we're a coffee shop it was more a kind of a, an official like no alcohol rule but actually as kind of time moved on i suppose maybe as like economic pressure changed in the 70s and 80s where they had to adapt or 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 disappear you know some of these places like you say extended their hours started to offer like food even and and certainly mm. like alcohol and i'd say most of the places you know japan has pretty lax licensing laws but most of the places we've been to even cafes and things like that you know if you were able to get a pint of Guinness at 11 a.m., you'd probably be taking it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for sure. It's possible, and right? What, yeah. what, what, what you said was exactly right, because that's exactly what Kusano-san at, at Lifetime did. He he was operating it as a kisaten, but eventually, you know, he started to have uh, some live gigs there on the weekend. And, you know, being very outside of Tokyo, even though Miyazaki is a city, it's, it's you know, it's much more spread out. So the place is a good two to three times bigger than your average Japanese jazz kisa, you know? Nice. So there's space that he could make a little live corner in there and at nighttime you know so he would split the hours basically between you know cafe time then take a little break and open at night and he's been running that now for you know pretty much 45 years consecutively um but again like so many of these guys two things came out immediately i, I grabbed my notebook to write this down because we've heard it again and again but i wanted to get his particular version of it the first was that he had shinjuku experience he worked in tokyo as a salary man when he was was in his 20s and he used to hang out at the jazz bars and jazz kisaten of shinjuku so he knew some of the names that i had mentioned and he was throwing out names of a lot of the older joints that of course i never got to go to but i've heard about through you know the kinds of things that we would see on matchbooks you know, when we, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've seen all the matchbook collections. So he was throwing some of those names out. And he was telling me, he said, listen, you have to realize that, you know, back in those days, in the 60s and 70s, so many of us were sent to college 
in the Tokyo metro area. And those of us who like jazz would basically go to Shinjuku, sometimes to Shibuya, but it was really Shinjuku. And then we would go back to our hometowns. And that's why you would find a lot of cafes and bars would have the same names as the places that were in Tokyo. And I was like, oh, that's that's just brilliant. I mean, we've often wondered about that. Why do you have like three different versions or four different versions with the same name, you know, of, of a jazz bar? It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it, it's a it's a real classic example of just like that pollination of music, I think, as well. And also, I suppose you have to remember that, you know, if you were going to Shinjuku in the early 60s, you know, that was just 15 years after the end of the war, really. Mm, mm. And, you know, communications obviously were not, what we know now so you know you could have had a place in miyazaki for 40 years with the same name as somewhere that you know you maybe didn't even know existed right it just oh, wasn't that sh- same sure. like yeah you i know, mean well, think, think about even just before the bullet train before the shinkansen just to go to the kansai just to tokyo to osaka was an overnight train trip very on yeah. a really slow track you know so i mean it wasn't that easy to get around and, and people didn't have as much money so yeah you could completely be unaware that somebody had just taken the same name and you know it probably they wouldn't mind anyway you're just naming it after your jazz heroes i mean how many miles bars or monks or birds are there in japan you know and we'll get to another example of that a little bit later but um but yeah so the kusano-san said that about shinjuku and the second thing and we we discovered this with people in in the north of japan we discovered it with our good friend at mokuba in guma um kusano-san helped to promote and bring over jazz musicians from the united states for decades to come play in Miyazaki because I noticed right away Philip as a photographer you would have been absolutely bugging when you saw some of the pictures that he had in his bar particularly a gigantic one which you can see on my Instagram page it's a little bit blurry unfortunately but it's uh it's a gorgeous picture of Sonny Rollins playing on the beach in Miyazaki. And Sonny wow. Rollins came over to play in Miyazaki several times. I think Kusano said, said five different times he came over because he loved Japan and he loved, particularly loved Kyushu and the coastline of Miyazaki so much. And so at one of these gigs, they were going to have a, a gig on the beach. And, and they did the sound check and they took some incredible pictures, which is the one that he has above his bar. And all of a sudden, the authorities came and said that they had to cancel the show because there was there was a tsunami warning. A typhoon was coming to kick what? in, and it would be dangerous. So all they got to do was record the sound check. So but Sonny Rollins literally, Sonny Rollins literally blew up a storm. Um, <laughs> but it, but that's interesting, isn't it? Though because Kyushu is where we came across this this samurai poster, right? Where th- this famous poster of Sonny Rollins, exactly, like, which you've seen over and over again. Yeah, yeah. So he obviously had a specific connection. And it's funny because I, I think isn't the the documentary there's uh, where he for a long time I think for like a couple of years he used to just play on the bridge right and that that bridge yeah he used uh, to play on the Williamsburg Bridge in New York yeah, yeah you know so it's interesting how he sort of developed obviously that connection with that very specific place in in Japan as well well the the Kusama-san was saying to me because I I said you know listen I, I've never heard anyone um, really talk about sonny rollins in a bad way the way you hear sometimes about other musicians people who yeah. worked in the industry or people who were musicians who played with them 
And Kusuna Son, who is generally a very jovial, laughing kind of guy over our over our almost 90-minute chat, uh, he just looked at me very seriously and he said, Sonny Rollins is the nicest musician I've ever met and one of the nicest people. He was so warm and polite, not just to members of the band, but even to the person bringing his tea at the hotel. He was just a really kind spirit. And so he felt that that Sonny appreciated the love that he got in Japan and wanted to bring it back. Philip, I was almost in tears hearing this story. Man. I just imagining Sonny just sitting there drinking his tea, being a gentleman, and he's surrounded by 50 to 75 adoring jazz fans, you know? And, and I just- think that's something we forget too, though, isn't it? Like, I mean, I know we have referenced it, but it's only really occurred to me just as you're saying it there, you know, that like in some of the places we've been, obviously, you know, there are literal signatures on walls and on doors from, from, you know, very famous Japanese musicians. But I suppose what's harder to imagine, um, except in kind of like a fictional way, but you're in many cases, you're sitting in spaces and listening to sometimes music from musicians who've literally sat there themselves on tour in Japan, you know, whether it's like for a coffee, whether it's like at a jam session after a gig, because we know that happened a lot in in like mm. the Kisa and the bar after they played like a com- concert hall, they would go to the local place and, and play or, you know, came for a drink. And it just like, it really underlines that, emph- that, that connection with the culture and that connection with the music that goes beyond just, you know, these physical spaces themselves. It's amazing. Just truly, truly remarkable. I mean, and, you know, talking with him for, for all that time, and he was one of those guys, oh, it was great. He poured me a beer, and after about 10 minutes, got up, went behind the bar, and he's like, uh, you know, the conversation's already good. I need to drink with you as well. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> so so we, we dove into a couple beers together, and, you know, he told me more about promoting uh, some of the some of the local, uh, just local things about the city and the culture down there and what he does currently. They've got a, a New Year's Eve sort of all-night session that's a tradition uh, where basically all the same customers for years have come back. And, you know, pretty much he was saying that, you know, the jazz scene, like we've seen over and over again, it's just not like it used to be. There's no really viable way economically for them to bring over a musician, the stature of Sonny Rollins anymore, because there's just not enough fans. However, he said there is some hope because, you know, he does have younger customers. In fact, he says he has a group of 20-somethings who come in once a week every Wednesday or Thursday. And um, he's trying to convince them to, like, you know, bring more of their friends and teach them about jazz. Um, but all in all, just a great place, lifetime, you know, uh, one of those kind of spots, again, only that you're going to find in Japan. I mean, we're talking about a city, a regional small city, way, yeah. way down south, you know. And this guy is talking to me about bringing over one of the world's most famous jasmine. You know, just just a remarkable start to the trip. So after I left there, so, you know, I, and Philip, you may recall that I'm slightly not the strongest drinker anymore these days. I mean, I'm going to say, I, like, I mean, as soon as you said 90 minutes, I, it was an alarm bell for me because I'm thinking if he's in there drinking for 90 minutes to this guy and it's like the, you've just arrived there in a subtropic, sub, subtropical climate in that rain jacket, which obviously, you know, probably induces a lot of sweat, I would say it's not very breathable. <laughs> I mean, what state were you in by the time? Because so this was the evening, right? And you were what was your plan to go to how many well, more places that night? There were, There was only one more place. But you see, the problem was that. I decided not to stay in Miyazaki City. I decided to book a hotel on the coast, 30 minutes south of there, okay, in a place called Aoshima, which is sort of like a, a surfing and um, 
there's like a really old shrine on a tiny island right off the coast. You know, just a, just a kind of a popular spot down there. It's off peak. So I was able to get a, a good deal on a hotel right on the ocean. So, but stupidly not remembering I'm not in the Tokyo metro area anymore and trains are very infrequent. So there's one train an hour. And at night, if you miss the nine o'clock train, the next one is the last one at about 11.15. This is where being your carer comes in. Uh, well, I think I, so I race off to the next joint and of course I can't find it. Of course it's raining. I'm already a little bit tipsy. Long story. I find it. It's called Far Cry named after the Dolphy album. Mm, nice. And, um, I get in there and I, I walk in and the guy's sitting behind the counter reading a newspaper and he looks at me and smiles and he says, I thought you were coming later. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, by this point, I can't remember. Did I actually talk to this guy? You know, because I've been calling places and checking <laughs> times and all that. I was like, oh, I did talk to this guy. That's right, Mister Koseki. Koseki-san runs Far Cry. Um, it's just a bar. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of a square. Well, a little bit of a rectangular bar with just gorgeous decor in it, though. Right. Um, and How you get, old you is it? It's an old place, or no, not so old. He opened in 1993. Okay, um, so fairly recent. It sounds a little bit like that. Um, is it prestige in Kyoto? That's what kind of what I'm imagining, like a bit more modern. But more cluttered, very... though. No, no, no. It's quite, it's quite cluttered, but it's, oh, okay. it's clean. It's clean and sleek. And he's got, he's got a ton of whiskey. He's got a lot of like whiskey, sort of like you know, stickers and things on the wall. In addition to little knickknacks and stuff, but it's very, very sleek. It's wooden. Um, yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, it's it's a kind of it's a late night jazz bar. You just go in there for a couple of drinks, you know, on your way home. It's it's that kind of quiet. It's a little bit darker. He doesn't pump up the music very loud as far as i can tell um but another guy who has a shinjuku connection because when we started talking about uh tokyo he was like oh you know i used to i used to uh, live right next to the old pit inn you know i'm good friends with kaibutsu san do you know kaibutsu san he's the guy who used to own the samurai <laughs> I just started oh, laughing. What? <laughs> I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with the samurai and I'm familiar with kaibutsu-san. Uh, for our non-Japanese speaking listeners, um, kaibutsu means monster in Japanese. And uh, this guy, kaibutsu-san, is, is the guy who used to own the samurai, which I believe was episode four of our podcast, which is a whole other long story. But uh, if you're interested in that, uh, samurai is a place that I was a regular at. Philip, you've been there now three, four, five times at least. Yeah. And it's one of our, probably one of the most listened episodes, actually. So if you are interested, it, it, samurai is a, we'll not get into it, but uh, become a slightly more complex place, perhaps, mm. um, is the best way to put it. But uh, <laughs> dig back into the podcast. You can get the podcast uh, on any podcast platform you can go to soundcloud get them directly and they're all linked to tokyojazzjoints.com as well so you go in there you can find whatever episode you're looking for so yeah if you're interested in samurai uh, and shinjuku in general actually there's two or three episodes uh, all recorded around that time so so koseki son at far cry yeah he was he talked to me about shinjuku for about half an hour um because it's interesting enough he's not from kyushu he's not from miyazaki he's from way up in yamagata in Tohoku, in the wow. north part of Japan. So that was curious to me. I was like, I, you know, we know a lot of people leave their hometowns to go to the big cities. They don't generally go to another tiny regional city yeah, in the yeah, middle yeah. of nowhere. Um, he was a, an, a very smiley and nice guy, a little bit of a unique, quirky kind of guy. Uh, he also wouldn't let me photograph him because he said he, you know, he'd recently gotten out of the hospital. And Philip, you know, you've had that experience several times with the the older gentlemen or, or ladies who run the jazz joints that they can be a little, you know, shy about being on camera sure, when, yeah. they, when they're not in the best of health, you know. Um, but But he actually did not look 
ill at all. He looked pretty spry. He talked, he talked a mile a minute. Um, and he was another one to add to our analog club. Do you remember what the analog club was, Philip? It's been too long since we've done this, done an episode. Analog club. Who were the members of the Analog Club? The owners we've met who not only don't have email or a website, but they don't even have a small a cell phone, not even a flip phone. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's just like literally you just hang around doorways hoping to meet them. That's 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 yeah, exactly yeah, it. So I, yeah. I said to myself, how can I get in touch with you? Because I only found your bar number. Like, you know, do you have you have an email? Can I get you on social media? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm 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 only analog, only analog. So. So, um, yeah, so he was, he, no, he was a really nice guy and we had a really long chat about, and, you know, we've talked about this on some of our lengthier episodes where we get into the sort of aesthetics or the the sort of philosophy of the jazz keys and the jazz bars, but he knew exactly what I was getting at because he said right away that, you know, oh, you know, this is my living room. I live here. I don't entertain at my home. When people want to see me, they come here and what they're, what they're having to drink or what they're listening to or the books that I'm reading that's what they see in here. So they have entered my home, you know? And I was just like, wow, this this guy's a superstar. I mean, you know, again, sometimes we have to drag the conversation out of these guys, you know? Um, but right away, I was two for two because Koseki-san was just completely open with me, other than not wanting to get his picture taken. I mean, I couldn't have had a better welcome, you know? I wonder sometimes, though, if that's the, the, the urban thing, you know? Like, I think, I mean, thinking through that, you know, we probably... I'd say there's probably a correlation, isn't there, with like the further places we've been, I think it's the more unusual us turning up can be. And perhaps that just automatically seems to sort of elicit more conversation. Whereas I suppose like Tokyo and Osaka, certainly Tokyo, you know, there is, it is a more standoffish place and there is that kind of like quieter, cooler vibe and you maybe do have to work harder. But I think like a lot of the more regional places we've been, it's generally been, I mean, I can remember, you know, a lot a lot of the places like really sitting, like Hokkaido and Kyushu in particular, just really sitting, like chatting to people like while we were there, right? Mm, mm. Oh, Rather for sure. Than talking and, and to each other, you know. Especially that they, you know, they're always amazed like, oh, you're here on business or on vacation and you yeah, just yeah. popped in. And it's like, no, 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 actually we came specifically to see you. And it just, the reaction is always just one of astonishment, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, he was, this guy was completely, you know, he, he was like, so you really go around visit all these places around the country. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. And and I was so happy I could reach you because again, it was really difficult. I'd heard of your joint. There was no information online. Um, I saw one picture of it. And you never answered your phone until just two days ago. So I didn't think I was actually going to get here. And then he was like, oh, well, you know, it was COVID. Then I was sick in the hospital. Uh, but sometimes I don't answer my phone anyway. <laughs> and so it was, it was actually really lucky that I was able to get to him because, as I mentioned, I had I had about 45 minutes uh, to sit in Far Cry. So I knocked back a Guinness, um, ran through the rain to get back to the station. And, so so uh, dramatic and romantic. Oh, it was, uh, you, yeah, dramatic. Rain sure. jacket romantic, flapping, rain, jack, rain jacket <laughs> flapping behind you, bag swinging, knocking out well, pedestrians. Even, well, I had to, remember, I checked in my bag for the at, at the station, so I had to go get my big duffel bag, hopped on the train, and I'm like, okay, you know what, 30 minutes, no problem, I can do that piece of cake down to Aoshima. Not realizing that the train, it wasn't exactly uh, the Yamanota line, it was a, it was a one-car train nice. on a track that I, I would estimate was built in about 1880 
And maybe the train car was built around that time too. So it was shaking. I mean, I've never been on a train that like shook so much for half an hour. <laughs> and um, Philip, let's just leave it at, I think you can imagine my physical discomfort at that point. After yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, the, the, the one word that's springing to my mind is toilet. So I think, you know, if, if you've listened to any other episodes, you'll realize probably, yeah. And, and maybe we'll just leave it there. So you, you got to, uh, you got to Aoshima and then obviously checked in and that was yes. you. So, so that's Friday night done, right? So we're moving into to oh, that's Saturday. Thursday, that's, that's Thursday night. Yeah. Thursday, Thursday night, night, right? So we're moving yeah. into Friday. Uh, and obviously then we've got four places left. So, uh, how did Saturday, sorry, how did Friday pan out then? Well, Friday was great. I mean, in the morning, I just, I, I bummed around the seaside and, you know, went out to the little island in Aoshima. Um, some really great stuff out there, including some, allegedly uh 20 million year old rocks that have a really strange formation that are supposedly some sort of you know i don't know healing powers to them anyway a very cool spot down by the ocean so just killing time before my train so i get back the train from aoshima i have to go back through miyazaki city and another 20 minutes north up the coast so now we're really really deep into kyushu and it's called takanabe city and believe me city should be in quadruple uh, quotation marks because this is, is, this is not a city okay i mean there is literally no i got out of the train yeah, they're, they're quite liberal with the city thing in japan aren't they like i yeah. mean because they don't really use the town uh, town's not really used in that same way right so like city is definitely a i guess it's one of those ones if you get a certain thing like here if you get like a cathedral you become a city but like you could be a tiny place with a cathedral and it's like it's not a city i, I think here it was yeah it was more of a it was uh it was a pork belly politics thing if you get designated a silly city you get a certain amount of uh you know funding but i think uh, it's pork barrel not pork belly but that just maybe you're hungry oh no i think that's the uh the sam smith kicking in are you sure it's not pork belly is i'm pretty sure sure it's pork pork barrel politics pork barrel i mean i love i love a pork belly as much as the next person but i I think it has no place in politics let me know that doesn't make any sense well anyway I get into a cab, lovely old guy. And this was the first guy I met, actually. So I was, you know, I'd already had like a, an afternoon and evening. This was the first guy I met with a heavy accent. Um, and so he was a little hard to understand. And he was also extremely excited that I was in his cab because he was like, oh, you know, I haven't during COVID, I haven't had any uh, foreign, uh, you know, customers at all. And I was just thinking like, man, how many foreign customers you have anyway? Like, and also, most foreigners had to stay in Japan, didn't they? They weren't able to leave or they couldn't get back in. So you think if, if any time he was going to have them, it would be when you couldn't fly off to other places. Like, Well, you know, I, I asked him about like what, what the local area was. He said, oh, you know, the, this town really only exists because there's a big Canon factory, Canon, you know, the, the photography, uh, the photo company. And so he was like, yeah, they've got about like 6,000 workers there. And so them and the Air Force Base are pretty much, everybody in the town is related to those two jobs. Um, But, you know, otherwise it's pretty sleepy. And I was like, I can tell, you know. So I I get him, we we drive about maybe more 10, 12 minutes. And we pull up and it's, it's a house. And it's just got the most gorgeous front way. This is like a sort of a neat, tidy, American-looking house, which makes a lot of sense after I met the owner. And it's called Downbeat, yet another Downbeat, which I believe another is the one. fourth, That's the third, the, the isn't fourth it? Yeah. Downbeat. And I walk in, and um, Downbeat is very much a cafe cafe. He's not open at nighttime. Um, 
you know, and I sit down and again, he's waiting for me because I had called this guy at least two or three times to be like, listen, I don't know how I can get to Miyazaki with, the, you know, in the trains and all this. I don't know what time I'm going to arrive. Can I just show up at like four, four thirty? He's like, of course, it's fine. I'll, I'll wait for you. It's not a problem. So I get to, uh, I walk into Downbeat. It's only about 20 seats, but it's very much in that old, old Kisa style. It reminded me a little bit of do you remember in Hokkaido, the first place on our very long trip that we went to called Soen, which was a yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. A addendum to a house? It was a bit like that. Right. <laughs> a little bit dark, uh, but cozy. And, uh, you know, I, I come in and the owner, and again, amazingly, the owner there, he's not from that area. He's from Niigata, which is even farther north. Mm. So two two guys I've met down in Miyazaki who are not even from the area, incredibly. Maybe that makes sense. That's why that they opened the jazz bars. But um, it all became clear because he said, yeah, he used to be in the Japanese Air Force. So he was sent down there and uh, he was okay. on the Air Force base and he got married. And, you know, once he came back to Japan because he lived in the United States, he opened his little jazz joint called Downbeat. And so when he learned I was from America, he got really excited and he started to speak to me in a mixture of Japanese and English. Now, I wanted to get really into the jazz and all the music he had there, but he wanted to talk about America so much that I had to just, okay, I had to gaman, as they say in Japan. I just had to put up with it. So we talked about the greatness and the beauty of America for about 30 minutes. He was talking about the Grand Canyon and about the Mississippi River and about all the amazing agricultural innovations in the United States and how great the engineering was and how great the music was. And I was like, well, yeah, okay, I guess I guess you're right. But, you know, we've met maybe not so many in the jazz trip that we've done, Philip, but I think you know exactly the type of person we're talking about. Someone who left Japan and sort of embraced life overseas in a really positive manner, kind of like the way that we did coming to Japan, where we would rave about it, you know, like to people who were visiting. That's what he was going back in. I could tell very much that even though he ran this small cafe, which was absolutely lovely, there was nothing he wanted to do than to go back to the States again. But now that he was retired, his visa ran out and, you know, he's got grandkids and whatever. And so he was saying that, you know, hopefully COVID would end soon and he could go back because his dream was to go to the New Orleans Jazz Festival. He never got to go there when he was living in the States. So we did bring it back to the jazz eventually. Um, but a very unique guy and definitely the first jazz owner I've ever met that used to be a part of the Japanese military. That was Although unexpected. we did, um, the owner of Step was in the parachute regiment. Wasn't he a paratrooper or something? Oh, stick. You mean jazz room stick, stick and Shinjuku? Yeah, sorry, not step. Yeah, stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you're Which right. Which, of course, That's is right. now he gone, yeah. A, yeah, what I saw was a paratrooper and a fish, deep-sea fisherman, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm still, I'm still in shock at the idea of you talking about the greatness and beauty of America. I mean, to anybody who knows you and the fact that you haven't lived there for 25 years. But anyway, I mean, but it, it does, it does raise that kind of. It, it is interesting, isn't it? And we, we don't need to probably go into it in too much detail. But there is this kind of complicated relationship that I think Japan has with America, and and there, there's so much American influence. I mean, of course, the whole influence of the, of jazz and and this whole jazz kisa culture that we're so interested in is is you know comes from largely from america and you know it, it's interesting to find people like that you know that have that kind of pre-internet 
fascination and and sort of there's a kind of a love hate tussle with America. I mean, clearly his his sounded just much more like like he loved it, but uh, yeah, it is an interesting yeah, dynamic. Yeah. I mean, isn't he it? was he was he was just rhapsodizing about driving his car from I think he said from Kansas City to Los Angeles, and him and his wife just marveling at the size of the United States, just the size, not even like it was beautiful or whatever. He was just like, how could this country go on and on and on and on? And again, you know, some of our, many of our listeners have never been to Japan. Japan is a long country, but it's very mountainous. It's very, I, I would describe it as narrow. Japan always feels very narrow to me. You never get those big wide open vistas that you would get yeah. in a country like the US. It just doesn't exist here. So you can understand his feeling, you know, he's there driving in the southwest, like of course he's going to be blown away by it. But um but you know, it was it, it was really fun. I mean, he was a sweet guy and then, you know, I asked him a little bit more about about opening downbeat and he'd said that, well, you know, like a lot of people, it was always his dream to, you know, own, own a restaurant or a cafe after he retired. So this particular place has been open since 1981, but he took it over. It, that was a little unclear when exactly. He said he took it over while he was still in the Air Force and then his wife was running it. And now that he's retired, he's running it. Which is but unusual, uh, an unusual reversal of what we've often seen, which is a man, you know, either getting too ill or, or passing away and then his wife often taking it over, right? Oh, which has happened, I mean, at least two dozen times for sure, yeah, you know, especially yeah. given that usually the men were a good 10 to 12 years older. But mm. um, he told me uh, the, the two other things that just knocked me out about Downbeat was, one, he <laughs> he knows very well my good buddy Yoshihisa-san at Downbeat in Yokohama. And I said, well, how, how do you know that? Do you go to Yokohama often? He's like, well, my daughter lives in uh, just a couple stations from there. So whenever I visit, I go hang out at Downbeat. And the two Downbeat owners... <laughs> sit and drink together and i said Amazing. well uh you know that's my regular so next time you're up here you call me and we'll, we'll meet up at uh, the yokohama downbeat and the second thing was just just completely out of the blue i said to him like so you know how did how did you get to gigs like did you have to go to miyazaki city like to to lifetime the, the first bar that we talked about and he was like well no you know back in the back in those days like in the late 80s you know uh, early 80s 70s um, we had people come play in Takanabe. I saw Art Pepper here, and I saw Mal Waldron. And, I mean, my jaw just hit the floor. I was like, <laughs> you saw Art Pepper play in Takanabe City? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? So, you know, again, I mean, we're talking not even just Miyazaki Prefecture. We're talking about the real booty end of Miyazaki Prefecture in Takanabe. And, uh, yeah, Mal Waldron made more sense because we've seen Mal Waldron pictures all around Japan. Yeah, yeah, you know, but it's, it's just there. astonishing when you think about it. Because, I mean, you know, most people who tour, even then, even now, like it's it's major cities and, you know, to, to I mean, it's hard. But if you, if, you, if you go and have a look for Takanabe on a map and then, you know, Take take whatever country you're from and try and find an equivalent place and think of like jazz legends or like, you know, huge bands at the moment coming to play there. Like, you know, other than it being some obscure festival, it's just hard to imagine why they would ever, you know, why it would ever take place. And I think that's one of the really fascinating things about when those floodgates opened in the early 60s for traveling, for, you know, for touring musicians after Art Blakey's tour, is that like just, it's not even how many people came, it's where they went to. 
You know, it's just the, mm. the, the most obscure mm. places that you would just never. And, mm. and again, like at a time that we said that where it wasn't easy to get to places, you know? <laughs> no, no, like, not at all. And and it also wasn't necessarily that that affordable for a lot of the local people when yeah. salaries were, you know, until the mid 80s when things, when the bubble happened in Japan, you know, people didn't have as much disposable income. So going to a gig for, say, 10 to 15 US dollars at the time would have been a bit of a, you know, a bit of a push for some people. So it's just, yeah, just unbelievable. I mean, when he said that, I could, there was two other things <laughs> I forgot. So he, his wife, very kindly, she makes the coffee. Um, she gives me a, a plate with cake and uh, I, I look at it and I'm like, wow, these, these are really beautiful. And then I notice under the cake, it says downbeat on the, on the plate. And then another one part, it says jazz. And then the, the coffee mug was just this beautiful sort of clay mug. And he's like, oh, yeah, I made all of these. I'm like, you, you made oh, all of these? What? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's my one of my hobbies. I make pottery, you know? Don't and tell I'm me like, you got one. I, I did not get one. I did not get one. I, I, he's I was he's maybe to, heard about you trying to buy one off the, 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 poor, gonna, the poor old man in Coltrane, Coltrane. I, I would say that. I, I would say that story's already spread. Like, watch out for the guy who tries to buy your crockery. Yeah, I was gonna try to offer one, and then I thought, no, if he wanted to give me one, he would give me one. You know, um, but a really a really unique guy because I sent him. I was like, wow, you you've got a lot of different hobbies. He's like, no, no, not really. It's just you know, I run the jazz bar and I make pottery and I play saxophone in a in an oldies band. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I play saxophone in an oldies band. You know, me and some of the guys my age, we really love the Southern All Stars, and we play a lot of other like American oldies as well. Amazing. And I was like, I was like, well, why don't you play any jazz? He was like, he's like, are you kidding? Do you know how hard it is to play jazz saxophone? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. So downbeat was, I mean, very hard to get to, um, but an absolute, you know, a real treat. And I, I know that I'll see that guy again, even if I don't get to Miyazaki, I'll see him here in Yokohama because he comes to visit his daughter. So um, just, just a wonderful place. But that, that's all as great as those three joints were. Those were all just a build up to, to absolutely one of my top 10 spots okay. in Japan. Well, at that point, James, I think that's maybe a good place where we're going to leave it for today because we've got six Kyushu joints. We're halfway there and there's no better cliffhanger than to say that the three that you've just explained. So we had Lifetime, we had Far Cry, and then we had Downbeat. If there's three better ones coming, well, I think that's probably going to justify another episode. So we're going to Put a pin in it there. We're going to see you all uh, for the next episode. Thank you for listening today. Um, I, we appreciate your support as always. It's good to be back in front of this microphone. We hope you enjoy it. What's been really fascinating for me is over the last year, just to see those numbers ticking up slowly on SoundCloud. And I think sometimes you, we almost forget that that is out there. The podcast is out there and there's still people discovering it for the first time. And I've had a couple of really nice emails, people saying, oh, I've been in hospital. I've been home recuperating. I can't go out. Uh, I discovered the podcast. I've been listening to these stories and looking at the photos and, and enjoying the projects really brought it to life and it's so gratifying for us like we do this project out of love we do it because it's something that we enjoy 
but the ability to be able to share it with people and to get that feedback is really fantastic. We're up to about 80,000 listens now on, on SoundCloud, which is way beyond our further streams when we first started the podcast. And thank you to all of you for listening. Please keep following the projects, tokyojazzjoints.com. There's always little bits and things coming up on the news section where we're featured somewhere. Maybe an article's been published or there's a plan for an exhibition. Keep an eye on our socials, particularly on Instagram at Tokyo Jazz Joints. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you again for part two of six Kyushu joints. Thought you were going to speak there, James. I was about to, and then I kind of lost it. Yeah, I thought I thought you I thought you had something else coming when you slowed down. No. <laughs> anyway, catch you all soon, man. So great to talk jazz again. I'm thrilled. You too. Take it easy, Ciao. man. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>